Hello and welcome to the first ever State of the Film episode of Men of Low Moral Fiber. Uh, these are the episodes where we basically dissect uh, a film and just kind of where it is in the state of uh, the universe. Kind of is it, is it at its peak? Is it at its lowest? We take kind of a critical look uh, and just kind of a strategic eye at the pros and cons, the good, the bad, uh, and kind of what's going on with usually a franchise. So whether that's uh, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, something that's related somewhat to, to Lucasfilm, LucasArts, uh, we can connect it a little bit. But uh, today we are talking about Star Wars. Uh, now this is actually going to be a two-parter. We're going to do uh, from a fan perspective and from a filmmaker perspective. And this is the filmmaker portion of that two-parter uh, where we bring in two special guests, two experts. They'll introduce themselves. Uh, they'll tell you all about kind of what they've done in the film industry, kind of their perspective on Star Wars, all three trilogies, the current one, the originals, and the prequels. Uh, kind of the pros and cons, the good and bad, exactly what I said before, uh, but specifically just on Star Wars from the filmmaking perspective. So uh, pull up a chair, maybe uh, get a glass of nice warm blue milk by your side, and hope you enjoy this episode. All right, so we do have some special guests with us today. We have Dominic Lang gracing us with his presence. We have Jorge Castellanos as well, both joining us. And we're going to do a quick um, go around the table uh, and introduce yourself. And we need two things. We need one is kind of your um, history in filmmaking, kind of what's your normal role, what, you know, you've both made many films. Um, what is your kind of, I guess, your role in filmmaking? What what kind of lens do you see? Wow. Pun not intended. What lens do you see filmmaking through? That's terrible. Uh, and then also, yeah, second question is, what is your favorite Star Wars scene? Preferably from a filmmaking or story perspective, and and then why? Kind of 60 seconds or less, just to kind of help us get to know you better. Uh, and I'm going to go first. My name's Ben, um, and no, no one says hello, Ben. Okay. Hi, Ben. Oh, sorry. Hi, Ben. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm a Star wars holic And I am a Star wars holic I also like films of all types. Uh, but yeah, my, I have done some sound mixing over the past uh, couple years, and that's kind of my, other than being a film major for two semesters in college where I wrote some films, um, produced, kind of did random things. I haven't really done anything technical on film other than um, the recent audio mixing. But uh, as far as directing or acting, haven't done any of those. Haven't done any much editing. Um, but yeah, I think I'm just a lover of films. I'm something that Jorge and I, all the four of us talk about a lot. Um, it's just filmmaking in general and story and that kind of stuff. So super nerd is kind of my role in film. And then the second question, my favorite Star Wars scene probably changes on a, you know, if you ask me next week, it might be different. But the one that stuck out to me the most recently was from uh, episode four, where Luke walks out of his moisture farm home on Tatooine and sees the the double sunset, the two suns. And it's just the, we just watched the scene and it's just this amazing John Williams, very simple flute score in the background to this enveloping, overwhelming classic Star Wars theme as he's like looking into the sun. He just had a fight with Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru and he's kind of like sitting there, angsty teenage Luke, just kind of like, in, in my eyes, it's him taking his own future into his hands being like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop being a kid. It's time to grow up, stop whining. It's time to be a man. And he doesn't know what he's going to do yet, but he's ready to act on whatever that is. That ends up being R2D2 across the dune sea, him chasing him down, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, we just watched it. And again, I get goosebumps every time I see that just because of that John Williams score. So love it. Anybody go, want, down. Want to go next? Uh, I'll go next. My name's Dominic. And 
Uh, I went to school for film, and I've had the opportunity to write and direct a few short films. Uh, I PA'd in L.A. for a couple of years and was on a variety of short film and commercial sets. I've uh, been able to do sound, uh, like I said, be PA, so just go for do anything. Um, primarily, the past couple of years, I've been working as an editor, uh, again, for some commercials for ad agencies and production companies. And just recently, I've been able to go back into writing and directing uh, short films. So just finished one late 2016, and now I just submitted that to some film festivals. So we'll see see where that goes. Um, but and story we'll to that in the the show notes. Oh, cool! Sure. Yeah, yeah. Fun. And congratulations! Thank yeah, you. That's awesome. Thanks very much. Um, ben actually did the sound mixing and sound design for that. That's why we're going to be linking to it. In the yes. Show notes. <laughs> <laughs> the film that Ben did sound for. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what it's called. <laughs> yeah. And. I, I've i loved movies since I was 10 or 11, and uh, Star Wars was uh, several of the films that my brother and I enjoyed from an early age, and that these films are films that we would watch over and over and over again. Um, oddly enough, the scene, when Ben asked my favorite scene, the one that sticks out to me right now is uh, from The Force Awakens. And it's the scene between Kylo Ren and Rey. Uh, it's the interrogation of, of Rey. And it works for me on a couple of levels. One, I think the performances are stellar in the sense of where Rey begins the scene and where Rey ends the scene. There's a, a huge power shift. Um, and you think it's Kylo Ren coming in with this power. And then you get to see... Ray really step into her own as someone who just has has power within herself and also just in the sense of pure filmmaking it's a very simple shooting there's not a lot of cuts there's not a lot of flash to it um, but also sound design because mm -hmm. on set there's very little sound and it's yeah. there's no uh, it's Kylo Ren trying to read Ray's mind and all the bass, all the atmosphere is added later. Everything's shaky and it's this low rumble of bass. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so you like the two actors really have to trust JJ Abrams, the director, right. in that like you're we're crafting this moment and there's going to be that support afterward. And so there's a lot of technical filmmaking that marries with the two great performances to make that a stellar moment and for me helped uh, just make The Force Awakens what I believe like a really solid entry into Star Wars. Uh, I can mention, I'm going to mention something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick, that we all live uh, hundreds of miles away from each other. I've uh, been friends for a couple years. Jorge has known Jason and I since we were young children, so many years. Uh, but we managed to somehow all see The Force Awakens on opening night, <laughs> which I'm still... It, yeah, I see Jason, I don't know, twice a year maybe. And so the fact that we're to, all able to get together, together. For that was pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Able to, I think we even saw it the next night together. Oh, you I, you left the next day, right? Yeah. You were just there for 24 hours. Dom yeah. was there for 24 hours, but uh, we ended up seeing it the next day too and just kind of sitting down for hours and analyzing it yeah. from a super nerd fan perspective and from a film perspective too. So that was really great Star Wars. Hey, who else got a uh, another Mondo glass this year? 
just while we're talking about that. There's one in the mail, I believe. Yeah. Next time you visit or next time I visit you, I'm bringing it. Or that. Okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> that still hasn't been handed off. Come no, on. No. I, got, I got two Mondo glasses. Wow. Give it up. I'm taking bins. <laughs> All right. Who's next? All right. I'll go next. Um, my, uh, my sort of history with film is similar to Dom's, although it happened many, 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 many more years before it happened with Dom. Uh, I went to film school and have done virtually every job on a film that there is to do, certainly on a small film from producing, directing, writing, uh, gaffing, gripping, production assistant, hair and makeup, if you can believe it. I can body double. And, uh, body so, double. and then after film school worked in the industry as a PA for many years, and then as a gaffer for many years, and then also running my own video production company, doing mostly, uh, industrials and producing and writing primarily those. I had a partner who was the director editor, uh, in that partnership. So, uh, so that, and then I worked in, in, uh, the audio, production business running a world-class recording studio uh, that was associated with Sega for a while in San Francisco. Uh, and my lifelong connection to film has been deep and passionate. Uh, certainly as a child, being an immigrant child whose first language was Spanish, part of what I ended up doing in order to understand and learn the English language over time was I watched a lot of TV Mm-hmm. when I was a little kid yeah, and so fell in love with uh, film and entertainment uh, from a television perspective very early on. And, yeah. and that's what ended up getting me into film school was mm-hmm. the passion uh, continuing to, to try to create that stuff. So, uh, and as far as my current involvement in film, it's really more as an appreciator and I won't even say uh a critic because I don't publish any criticism, but, uh, I, I like critiquing mm-hmm. film and I like analyzing film and, you know, as this podcast shows, I like participating with other people that are interested in the same thing. So as far as my favorite star Wars scene, I'm kind of like you, Ben, uh, depending on when you ask me, yeah, it'll, it'll change because there's so many scenes to choose from. But, uh, I guess I'll I'll try to define favorite in this instance as what I feel is like the most important scene, mm-hmm. and that's the "I'm your father" scene. Oh, sure. Uh, it, for so many reasons. One, because I mean, it's so long ago now that we're we're distant from the emotional impact of that reveal. Mm-hmm. When when that was revealed, it blew everybody away. Yeah, yeah. and. And it's the linchpin to the entire Skywalker saga. Everything yeah. Yeah. Uh, before and since has rotated around that fact. Uh, and the way that that scene played itself out with, you know, I remember when I was first seeing it, I was just thinking, oh, wow, Luke's going to die in this scene. Mm-hmm. And and he gets his arm cut off and hand cut off rather. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and there's the real balance of the dark side and, and the nascent force untrained in Luke and, and who's going to win in this battle. And then to have Luke choose to fall jump, let's say without knowing what that would mean 
rather than become part of the dark side was just huge, just huge. And, and the power of that scene and everything that it's meant in the star Wars universe since, uh, and, and I'll, I'll have other things to say about that later on in our podcast, but, uh, it's just, it's just pivotal. Yeah. So that remains for me the, the most important scene. Yeah. Even though my favorite scene changes quite often. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a huge thing. The next time you, you hear, I've had a bunch of friends that are like, Oh, I'm introducing my, my daughter, my son to star Wars for the first time. They're what, eight, 10, whatever. Uh, and they're going to start going through the saga and they're like, what order is the best? Should I start at one? It's number one. It's first, right? Or should I start at four? Should we start at the force awakens? Cause it's the most modern one. And I think the re- the scene you just mentioned is the number one reason why you should go. What I think and uh, smart people think, no, <laughs> why? the person who's right thinks that the order is to go, which in which they came out. Uh, you go you know, four, four, five, six. In release three. order. I agree. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, Chronological. Time I honestly around. thought you were going to say, which is why I think you should just start showing them that scene with no context. <laughs> just whatsoever. go from there. Just no, right that, there. That's the point. Is, yeah. Thank you. The point of that is just that that scene and a lot of scenes in the original trilogy lose a lot of gravity, a lot of meaning, yeah. a lot of that. Oh my gosh. Hold on you. Um, emotional intensity, whatever. If, if you've, if you know the ending, you know the outcome, you know the relationships from one, two, and three, or from episodes one, two, and three. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And right. I mean, you have to think of all the movies as a series of sequels. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And you got to start with the first one and go to the the newest one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that that's the way that makes sense. Plus, yeah. the technology changes over the course of so many years. Mm-hmm. It's hard to go from the technological expertise and look of the prequels to episode four. Yeah. Feeling like you're watching what what is this? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. We were talking, I know Jason, you haven't even done your intro yet, but uh real quick. <laughs> we know who Jason is. Uh we it's we fun. just watched uh Return tonight, Dom and I, and we were talking about the Dom brought up the fact that it's such a simple story. Was that what it was? Simple movie? Yeah, like it's it's very simple. They rescue Han and then they hear that they're rebuilding the Death Star again. They know where the energy shield is, so they're like, okay. Let's go destroy Let's go that, and we'll we'll take it down. Yeah, and then Luke's off doing his stuff at the same time. But the tension is building throughout. Like it's great uh, filmmaking throughout that. But the story of that is I never thought about how simple. simple. Yeah, it's one sentence. That's the whole. It's the longest movie too. It's that's the whole movie. I, I was thinking about the fact that what if you took that movie separately, and what if none of the other Star Wars movies existed, and you took this film that's very very simple, but has all of these relationships and emotions built into it, all these stories that everyone knows if you, if you've seen four and five, I wonder if it was released by itself, if it would be this great piece of filmmaking or if it would just be so different and so weird and so disconnected and kind of like inaccessible because there is all of those underlying things from episodes four and five. Cause it's already built in when you see four, this is world that already exists. It's episode four, right. you know, it's so anyway, I just thought that because it's such a simple film, if, if that would be able to stand alone, but yeah, anyway, yeah, I think the best standalone would be um, actually Rogue One, uh, if you had to just watch one on its yeah. own. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is weird because it ties so well into Episode Four. It glues um, the the two movie the two trilogies together. Yeah, but it, but it it's it really stands alone well. It's an entertaining movie in mm-hmm. and of itself. Yeah. Um, I felt like in some ways you didn't actually need the rest of the Star Wars series to understand it. Um, yeah. Which is kind of cool. True. Um, uh, excuse me, sir. Who are you? Yes, I'm. I'm Jason. 
I am okay. another man Hi, of low moral fiber. Yep. Um, and uh, I w- was involved with film a bunch in college. Uh, had a lot of friends who were studying film. And so I was able to pick up a few things, learn some editing, uh, directed a short when I was in college. Nothing really special or kind of career oriented. Um, and I do teach video editing um, in a lot of my classes. I teach writing at TCU. And uh, I use film as a way of teaching um, a couple different things. Audience, revision. Um, there's a lot of great things that you can learn from film. Um, and so I, I do use film a lot. Um, the uh, My favorite scene. I, I went back and forth on this a few times. I decided I wanted to balance things out so I'd go Jedi since everybody else chose, uh, you know, we had four, five, six, and, or we had four, five, and seven. I figured I'd go six. Nice. Um, but it's the scene when, uh, Leia dressed as a bounty hunter comes down and rescues Han. Oh, um, nice. Um, but not, not that scene that we're, we're quoting right now, but the, the okay. one where she sneaks down in the middle of the night. Oh, uh, and again, okay. If you're watching it for the first time, you think that she's a bounty hunter. Right. You might think that she's Luke um, mm-hmm. if you're thinking that it's someone in disguise. Um, and so there's you know a series of small reveals that you have. Uh, first, uh, she pulls down Han and unfreezes him. Uh, he's scared. All of a sudden, you find out that Han is blind, and you don't know how long that's going mm-hmm. to last. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, who is it? And she takes off her mask and says, someone who loves you. Um, as this, this great moment as they hold each other, um, where she has all the power again to talk about power, uh, or, you know, she seems, you know, just total badass and he's totally weak and their Mm. roles have reversed in that way. Uh, and then you get basically the slow clap from Jabba in the darkness and then there's one last reversal, uh, where there's this, you know, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, oh no, it's not. And the tension comes back and in the greater kind of story of rescuing Han, that scene kind of doesn't matter. Um, it almost feels like what was Leia doing there? There was mm-hmm. a different plan that Luke had uh, that would have somehow resulted in, in Han being rescued. Uh, it certainly didn't move the plot along in that mm-hmm. way, but it's such an important character moment uh, and it becomes integral to the plan, uh, yeah. even though it's not, you know, initially. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. So we're actually going to talk about filmmaking in Star Wars today. But yeah, thanks again for joining us, for listening to this. Uh, and we're basically just, the, the, the rough outline is we're going to talk about uh, the original trilogy, just kind of why it stood out, what made it um, persevere, I guess, 40 years now. This May, I believe, it's going to be a 40-year anniversary of uh, Episode Four, And then, then we'll get into the prequels, maybe why they didn't stand up as much. We'll see. Not to ask a leading question. Who knows? You know, some someone here might love those films. Uh, and then we'll, talk, you know, we'll finish by talking about the... Uh, the, the newest films that just came out, Force Awakens and Rogue One, and then um, The Last Jedi, which was the title was just announced. So I don't know how much we can talk about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess we can't talk about them separately completely. Obviously, it's one giant story. Um, but if we were just to focus on 4, 5, and 6 as much as we can for a few minutes at least, um, Jorge, I'm going to ask you, um, what what about even just the first film? What, what made it 
not necessarily just from like a nerd sci-fi like yay lightsabers as much as we like the the films for that reason too what from a film perspective makes it stand out or made it even at the time made it stand out from other sci-fi films well i'm i'm glad you you modified the question there at the end to to talk about uh at the time because mm-hmm. you know it came out in 1977 in may of 1977 this was uh i was 19 oh nice and i was on my way to film school i'd finished 2 years of uh, regular college and then decided after my sophomore year that I'm going to change my major and go to film school and change schools and do all that. Mm-hmm. And, and I looked up uh, earlier today when I was doing some research about the other kind of films that came out that year, you know, films like Annie Hall, Saturday night fever, Smokey and the bandit wow. and close encounters. Okay. And, and none of those films uh, are even remotely like this movie. Yeah. Uh, it, they feel like not even in the same genre, not even close encounters because every Spielberg science fiction movie is about stuff here on this planet. Yeah. It's not about space. Uh, and I was doing some research earlier in reading. I really respect uh, Kristen Thompson and David Bordwell. They're uh, film uh, analysts. They have a great uh, website and they do a great blog and they put out a book uh, that talked a little bit about what was going on uh, at that time and because of this release. And they characterize Lucas as, you know, he, he grew up with all the sort of fun things that he liked. Uh, comic mm. books, uh, rock and roll, uh, Saturday morning matinees uh, that were mostly cowboy pictures. Mm. Uh, and he he started to create films and wanted to put all this stuff together and it coalesced in star Wars. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's another writer called Heather green, who's just another film analyst and, and, and writer. She's not a critic. Uh, but she wrote something interesting about how, uh, that the, the, the Hollywood production code changed in 1968. So mm-hmm. it loosened the grip on sort of R-rated subject matter, if you will. Oh, okay. Uh, and so from 1968 to 19 to 1977 is about a decade. Mm-hmm. And in that decade, filmmakers seem to be focused on wanting to tell these stories and how to tell them with this new freedom of the production codes being loosened, right? So that affected a lot of what the content overall ended up being. They ended up being a lot more sort of R-rated, gritty, uh, realistic, um, sometimes harsh subject matter, right? Uh, And and the whole notion of a fun movie, a carefree movie that didn't show blood and guts had kind of disappeared. And it, and it fit right into Lucas's desires and Lucas's sort of growing up and mm-hmm. his feelings about what was fun about movies, you know? Uh, and so I think those two things kind of coalesced at that time. And, and when Star Wars came out, I think part of the reason that it, it connected so well with people is like they could go and have fun at a movie uh, and and be amazed by the world creation that Lucas had envisioned and realized. 
and and believe in characters uh, that that really had a very simplistic evil versus good kind of right, a yeah, spectrum. Right. Uh, and and little did they know that it would turn into this franchise where this universe was created that they could invest in. But even just that first film um, kind of hit that zeitgeist, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That's my thoughts. Yeah. That's good. So then maybe to Dom, what, what do you think since then, why has it been something that everyone, not even in the industry, it's this, I mean, how many 1977 films, I guess he mentioned a few, but I think if you were to go much past those films you mentioned from 1977, I probably wouldn't know them pretty quickly down that list. Um, what, is, what is it about Star Wars that has such staying power from a, from the film perspective? Yeah, I think starting with A New Hope, you have, again, the great world building that's there. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, your favorite scene is a guy standing looking at the sunsets. But why? And you have... In a New Hope is one of the clearest examples of the hero's journey in contemporary storytelling. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when Luke is desiring that and feeling a call, feeling a a shift uh, in, in his spirit and and wanting and yearning for something else, um, I'm sure that spoke and continues to speak to anyone who's watching that movie and following that story. Um, And also I think, like having just watched Empire and just watched Return of the Jedi, um, a close run-up or runner-up and favorite scene of mine was when in Empire, when Yoda raises the X-Wing out mm. of the swamp in, in Dagobah. And um, Luke comes to Yoda and says, I don't believe it. And Yoda says, and that is why you fail. And there is a combination of in the original trilogies, especially of like a fun flash Gordon, good versus evil Western. Like again, all of Lucas's stuff that he grew up with and enjoyed, there's that fun, but then there's also depth in terms of aspiration. So Luke desiring to do good and uh, become a Jedi, but also the frailty of it. And the fact that there's uh, the fallibility of Luke uh, is that, he does make rash decisions and does he, he acts sometimes without fully knowing the consequences of things and pays the price for it, especially in empire um, and wrestles with who I am supposed to be. Uh, like what man am I going to be? Who am I going to become? What legacy am I going to carry? And, they're asking the films are asking very core questions and those questions resonate uh, at any point in time, be it 1977, 2017 Um, those questions and core questions of identity, good versus evil, the people that you choose to walk through life with and struggle through life with Mm -hmm. um, those we're always going to be asking ourselves. And Star Wars happens to package that in a very entertaining, uh, adventurous roller coaster ride. Yeah, something that you mentioned also strikes me that part of what's so alluring about it is that struggle between 
being someone who wants to act, mm. Um, mm. Luke wants to act, but he doesn't have the wisdom to know how to choose how to act. And yeah. part of the hero's journey is to gaining the wisdom and becoming the wise hero, mm-hmm. not just the mm-hmm. one willing to take action. Yeah. And that's really yeah. attractive. Yeah. So I guess a, a bigger question, maybe I should have even asked this first, but why, and this is open to anyone, why sci-fi? What is it about sci-fi that, and, and Jorge mentioned kind of why, what would have led George Lucas to choose sci-fi to tell yeah. the story, but you, you both mentioned big themes that are mm-hmm. present, not just in sci-fi movies. So what is it about sci-fi that either lets the creator uh, bring these things more easily or makes them more accessible? Or, or, or what is it about sci-fi that other genres can't do? Maybe that's the question I'm trying to ask. Yeah. Sci-fi for me seems kind of like, it's almost like camouflage mm. uh, where you can talk about a very intimate thing or talk about a very um, personal thing to you in a in a box or in a shape that um, people will more readily accept and more kind of like, if you're in a strange world, like, okay, people will buy it. Yeah. And then you can talk about very uh, like personal things, one-to-one things. Um, For me, Ray Bradbury, who's a writer for me is one of the people who used sci-fi to tell very uh, grounded, intimate stories of people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like for me, some of my favorite short stories of his are two kids who are growing up every day. They're about 13 and they pass by the rocket pad every day and they look through the hole in the fence and they see the rocket Mm. and they know like one day, you know, when you're 13, they either choose you to be an astronaut or they don't. And they go back and forth. Like when I'm an astronaut, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. And they always bike home after school. And one day one kid bikes to the spot, looks through the hole in the fence, waits for his friend. His friend never shows up. And he knows his friend's been chosen and he hasn't. And there's full of, there's moments of like, oh, it's really awesome for my friend. There's also a bittersweetness in the sense that you didn't get chosen. Right. But that's a very like personal story. Also talking about like astronauts and space travel and this exaggerated environment. And so you have kind of, in in a strange way, a bigger landscape to tell a smaller story. Totally. I'm curious about Jay's thoughts on this. Same. Yeah, I I agree with you. The camouflage. uh, Science fiction can also be, um, in a weird way, we we usually think of it as science as fiction. I think it can also be fiction as science, uh, a way to test things, a way to play experiments. Um, I can, you know, write a science fiction where... uh, you know, we we play with gender and and we interact with some aliens that have three genders instead of two. And what's that like? And how do people deal with it? Uh, thinking of Ursula Le Guin there. Um, there's you know all kinds of cool stuff you can do with that. And so I'm I'm interested in the tests um, that we see in Star Wars, the experiments that that Lucas and everyone else are doing. Um, one of the things I see them doing is uh, the broke down future. Uh, the future that's not shiny. And I think a lot of that was not Lucas's vision. And you Mm -hmm. see that a bit when you get to the prequels. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, we're supposed to be thinking about the good old days in the prequels. And so that is why everything's shinier. Um, But with four, five, six, I think a lot of it was also just technological and just what they could get done. Um, But 
it really spoke to the moment that it came out uh, of the 70s where you'd lived through a time of such amazing technological changes and now all of a sudden economically it seemed like things were stagnating. Uh, mm-hmm. Like we were going to live in this spot now forever um, and things were going to get worse instead of better. Uh, even technology was going to get worse. Um, the you know lack of personality of an 8-track versus an LP, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Star Wars pulls together – that for me is kind of the unnamed character of Star Wars that probably influenced me the most is that broke down future. And that for me about Star Wars is why it's – so realistic um because it is not a realistic movie at all especially mm. in terms of the science of the science fiction right? Sure. right uh it's the stupid debates about a lightsaber and why why doesn't it just blast forever why does it go for four feet instead of you know to infinity science um, is three to five years away from figuring that out okay <laughs> right right there's there's you don't need to think about it well, well right. what about you know the gravity on uh the death star how is it working no no, that's not part of the consideration. Right, uh, right. It's it's not doing it that way. But the realism is, it's in the character moments, but it's also in the kind of world building of a world that's not perfect uh, mm-hmm. and a world that's flawed, uh, which gives the characters room to, to get around and to do things. Um, and so I think he was, I think in some ways Lucas ended up taking his own world and magnifying it. Um, yeah. kind of blowing up some of the themes so that they were larger and more obvious uh, than they would be in a, a more contemporary kind of thing. I like Let's that. not forget the, the direct connection to Westerns. Yeah, yeah. sure. You know, the West is the uncharted territory. Yep. It, it's the, the land not yet built. And, and that's the land of, of uh, you know, four, five, and six. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, like you noted, Jason, in the prequels, Lucas gets to shiny up mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the planets. Uh, so, uh, and, and I think part of the reason we connect less with the prequels is that it's too shiny. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but, but yeah, good points. And even those moments where he, he shinied up uh, the four, five, six. Yeah. Right. And when yeah. Yeah. we don't, we don't just reject them because they're new and yeah. it's like, Oh, I don't like new things. Um, some of yeah. them, it's but just you, too shiny and it does not fit. Yeah. Jason, what you said about the like magnifying, uh, it allows Lucas to, I mean, he's telling fables, each, you know, each film opens a long time ago. It's once upon a time. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. And that's what fables do. They, they've got a moral. They, they yeah. magnify. Exactly. Absolutely. I never thought about the the kind of the parallel between the contemporary uh, technologies compared to the aesthetic of the films, but that it totally jives with me with the uh, what was 1999 episode one came out and what was the biggest popular technology was Apple and the iMac. I think the first iMac came out in 98, the one with like the green, yellow, the crazy backgrounds and stuff. Everything was clean, you know, with closed system, Steve Jobs, you know, there's no extra plugs, no, you couldn't see any wires or anything. The computer was in the monitor everything's sleek. And so episode one comes out, everything's sleek. There's no dirt, no weathering on any of the props or the ships or anything. Yeah. And at the time I was 13, but at the time it was cool that all the ships were cool. I mean, it wasn't something that at the time stood out to me again because I was 13, <clears throat> but I could definitely see how that, at, you know, he was playing to the, the kind of contemporary audience in both in the late seventies and in the late nineties, how that would both yeah. fit their times, mm-hmm. those decades. And it's clear now in retrospect that, 
Lucas was saying that Apple's minimalist aesthetic really gets yeah. away from the humanness of technology. All right, he wasn't saying that at all. Wow. Uh, right. but, so wow. but it can come it's across. It's a satire against Apple. Like now that. it makes sense. Is that an alternative fact? Or I what? love that reading. I love that reading you just created, though, Ben. Oh, man, I got it from you. Okay, so let's move seamlessly now mm-hmm. uh, into the prequels. No, leave the, leave the seams it. there. Come on, leave the seams leave, there. Let's okay, we'll leave them visible. We'll add some yeah. weathering in the seam a little bit so mm-hmm. you can tell we've been there. <laughs> Dirty it up. Uh, <laughs> settle down, Dom. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I want to dirty up your prequels. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, let me throw in one more comment please, that please. connects and hopefully goes seamlessly in Perfect. Uh, is, you know, when let's not forget that Lucas, he created episode four, written and directed, mm-hmm. and then he started to hand off directing and other creative duties yep. in five and six because he he learned he didn't enjoy directing that kind of a picture anymore. It was too big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he needed to influence it in higher visionary ways, not in day to day. What are these umpteen thousand tasks I've got to answer questions to totally. each day? But then the pre, you know, time passes, a decade, whatever it's been, and then he does the prequel, and he's the only guy. He's the writer director. He it's his thing. Yeah. And what what did he love doing between Episode Four and the prequels? He created. A technology empire in cinema. Yep. His his legacy, I think, more than the films will be ILM and Skywalker Sound. Yep, and Lucas Arts. Exactly the the infrastructure <laughs> for yeah. pushing technology in cinema. Yeah, right. And so the prequels gives an opportunity to just showcase all that stuff. That's true. Yeah. And he's in love with technology in the prequels. That's why. It's so shiny. It's more shiny than it is dirty, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's part of the problem in a sense. But but it doesn't surprise me that we get the prequels that we do, the the way that they look and the way that they're structured. Uh, I mean, he loved technology so much, he took that technology and tried to to pretty up the other episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right? Alternative scenes and endings or whatever, right? I think the differences uh, yeah. between human technologies of the the uh, four, five, six, and inhuman technologies of one, two, and three, where the the mm. humans are like set pieces for yeah. technology, yeah, they're there yeah. to be surrounded by the technology. Whereas in the originals, the the technology is there, and it always feels. I don't know what a moisture farm is, but that moisture farm, I can tell you that it's not working like it should be. Uh, you know, they have had to jury rig some stuff. Right. Uh, yep. It's, you know, it's I know work. tons of details about the moisture farm and the day-to-day activity. Of yeah. It, even though I have no idea what in the world a moisture farm is right. or who is buying the moisture that they farm. Also, what kind of animal gives blue milk? Right. I'm sure there's an answer in Wikipedia. Somewhere. Keep going. Whereas you don't know how clones are created. No. Yeah. And I don't care and I'm not meant to. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I actually... I, I had the pleasure, question mark, of, oh, yeah, you of, uh, of revisiting. I watched all the prequels again wow. last week. 
And you brave man. Kudos <laughs> to you, golf player. Yeah. Well, give, give us a report from the outer edges. Tell us, yeah. Yeah. Tell us of this world. So, but, but the fun part was that I got to diagnose and really like beyond the beyond the things that people have talked about for the past now close to 10, 15 years about why they don't like the prequels or what they yeah. feel is, is wrong. And really like on a skeletal guts level, mm-hmm. what are... Like, why do these movies not work? What's yeah? What's lacking? There's a lot um, of easy targets, one-liners, and stuff right, to mock. Right, right, yeah. And and so like, but trying to push beyond that. Like, yeah. What are our key things? And one of the the major pieces for me is that we're told so much, but shown so little. And for example, if there's if there's a siege happening in episode one, the siege of Naboo, and n- nothing's being let in or let out, mm-hmm. and we're talking about people that are starving or citizens that are starving, imagine the impact that there would have of one scene, just one scene of a family starving, of pe- of of the of the Naboo people hungry, mm-hmm. or if there was actual strife between Gungans. And and the Naboo, like one scene would go so far or and this was fun to like imagine, like what's the good version of episode one? Like if if we're taking as a given episodes four through six is the story of Luke Skywalker. And episodes one through three, the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. episode one is introducing Anakin. And so I thought, well, what if. If Padme, they're at, they're in Tatooine, they're uh, talking to the Watto. yes, Watto, thank you, and Padme wanders off into the the pod racer hangar, and he, she hears two kids arguing about this broken pod racer and how to fix it. One kid's in the pilot seat, one kid's under the hood. The kid in the pilot seat sees Padme stops because she's a cute girl, and the kid under the hood looks out, and it's Anakin. Mm-hmm. And Anakin is this kid who's fixing the pod racer mm-hmm. and the scene ends with him having fixed it. And so when he is talking mm-hmm. about his experience in his life, you believe him a little more because he actually knows how to like you see him fixing things mm-hmm. and you see him repairing things as opposed to this kid who just like, oh, I know how to fix stuff like I Things are better when I know how to fix things. What, what about if he just you. told everyone he could fix stuff? <laughs> right. But even and, Just and all again, the time. when so when Obi Wan and Anakin are are a little older, and you're into episodes two and three, and they mention things, uh, mention you know past adventures, quote unquote, that they've been on. You, again, we never see those, mm-hmm. and we never see yeah, like we never see the Jedi trials. Like, what would yeah. what would it be if? Episode one, Obi-Wan is saying, hey, I'm ready for these things. What if in episode one, Obi-Wan tries and fails in the trials? And episode two, Anakin is just hauling through those trials. Then you actually see a marked difference. And Anakin has a reason to despise Obi-Wan because you claim you're my master, but... I'm better at you than this. Right, right. Yeah. And so instead you just look at their Metachlorian stats. Yes. Like, oh, okay. Anakin's right. better. So. Like, well, he's got 20 odd thousand. <laughs> and so there you go. Right. Um, and well, also, I really like what you're saying, Dom, about, about connecting to the strife too. Yes. Because 
I think one of the one of the things that I really wish had been developed better was setting the groundwork with young Anakin in episode one mm-hmm. uh, for the seeds of fear and and the proclivity to move to the dark side as an easy solution. Yeah. Yes. That is inevitable in, you know, two and three, but I don't believe it as much because I need to see it more in, in little Anakin being worried about his mom or the strife that they're living together is a real strife. And the fact that he leaves her is a real anguish. It Mm -hmm. felt, it felt like not a big deal. Uh, So, and, and I think that carries all the way through the prequels. I just don't ever buy enough of Anakin really anguishing uh, or the anguish being deeply rooted and, and real rooted enough to, to end up creating Darth Vader. Uh, And part of that's, you know, because of the casting and part of that's because of how it was written. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think they lost something fundamental. Another thing that I wanted to bring into the conversation was, you know, something that the the original f- three episodes, four through six, mm. tapped into was our sense of nostalgia. Uh, I didn't use that term, but, you know, it's it's kind of what Lucas wanted to capture that he that he lost, you know, mm. that had been lost in film that he couldn't go see a right. sat- Saturday uh, serialized matinee anymore. Uh, so he wanted to recapture that sense of sort of nostalgia. The prequels aren't about nostalgia at all. Yeah. They're all about, and, and we lose the romance. We lose as an audience, the connection to our love of what got brought back in episodes four through six. Mm-hmm. We don't have that in the prequels. The prequels are all about let's move inexorably to take this little kid and make him Darth Vader. Yeah. Uh, and that's interesting and necessary for the entirety of the triple trilogies, but but not nearly as emotionally involving for me, uh, and I think for a lot of people. Jay? Well, I, I think that actually works as a really good transition to the next part we want to talk about, which is the episode seven and Rogue One mm-hmm. um, and the connection between those. Because episode seven, I think the biggest knock on it is that it's all about nostalgia. Um, yeah. And maybe in yeah. a cynical sense, you can say there's too much fan service or this yeah. or that. But in another sense, um, it's about nostalgia from the character's side. And we get, to, we get to see the characters feeling like we do about missing Star Wars. Um, yeah. The way that they talk about the previous characters, it's really enacting that for us. Um, and so it, it kind of lends uh, some credence to the theory. I don't want to overblow your theory, Jorge, but if the theory is, uh, you know, nostalgia is the secret sauce, uh, episodes one, two, three don't have it, and episode seven definitely does. Definitely. Yeah, and I'll, I'll agree with that. And and although uh, it can be argued, I'm open to hearing the argument that there's too much nostalgia in Episode Seven. Uh, that it was too much of a remake, in a sense. Uh, I I hear that. I would tend to agree with some of that. Mm-hmm. But I I think overall we needed to have that yeah. emotional feeling. Yeah, we needed yeah. that after the prequels because the prequels left us wondering what the hell are these creators going to do to us now? Are they going to sort of cement the fact that the emotional connection we had with the original trilogy is gone? 
are they going to try to rekindle it? And they tried to rekindle it and maybe they created more of a raging fire than they needed to, but I don't fault them for going in that direction at all. Yeah. I mean, when you have a, a star destroyer in the background, when you have a a fallen ATAT and even Ray, where she's, she's living, she's marking days, Mm -hmm. like marking days since what? Yeah. And when, uh, when Finn takes off his helmet after the after the attack, and they they take Poe and bring him back, and there's blood streaked across his helmet, and take him, and he's clearly shaken. There is a for him. There's a dissonance mm-hmm. in in his world, and for Ray, there's simply an absence, mm. and it's almost a longing for the thing you cannot name, and. In that way, like you almost have like that 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 romance that you can't quite express or that yearning you can't quite, you know. And so when when Ray hears Luke Skywalker, she, mm-hmm. her her eyes justifiably light up. He's like, I thought he was a myth. Mm-hmm. I thought, and, and the fact, the possibility, slim as it may be, that he's actually real, that the that the stories are true, and then to hear Han Solo once the guy, you know. Hokum, hokey religions and everything. Now one of the converted, and mm-hmm. to and to relay like it's all it's all true. Yeah, and like that's all the fuel they need. Like Ray's gonna go to the ends of the galaxy, and does. And yeah. I'm excited personally to see where that goes next. It yeah, sounds think- like what you're saying is Episode Seven is therapy for the trauma of watching Episodes One, Two, and Three. Yeah. I mean, in a in a sense, yeah, because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm I, only half kidding there. I, I no, think it really I think, is. I think people I think needed. There's perfect. There's there's a lot of, I think again, a lot of great ideas, ill explored in the prequels. Yeah. You have a division between the Jedi Order and uh, the Senate. I mean, there's a lot of like. Who watches the Watchmen? Kind mm-hmm. of ideas there. That again, like Jar Jar. Yes, Jar Jar, Jar, Jar watches, watches the Watchmen. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, so then when the comedian and Jar Jar come in yeah. and battle, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are a lot of good ideas again that are there, and I think again the questions of identity are somewhat present. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ill, again, ill explored, and you can't just like go around shouting identity and, ha- and like, oh, the movie's about identity. Like, mm-hmm. well, no, you you actually have to have crisis. A character must experience yeah. a crisis, and out of that crisis, make a choice. And out of that choice, you're going to reveal character. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the prequels are where they truly fall short, um, and where I hope the the new trilogy continues to throw the characters into crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's for me, like I love Finn's introduction because he's thrown yeah. into a crisis yeah. and like the moment he makes a choice, he knows like he has to do a hard swerve. Mm-hmm. His life changes instantly. Yeah. Um, just going off of the fact that you tried, Jorge, you were talking about the similarities between this and the original uh, trilogy. And I think someone who doesn't have maybe the optimism that, that us four, we four do towards Star Wars, where no matter how bad the last one 
is eventually they're going to make a bad one again, right? We'll still have the optimism that we can still have another great Star Wars again. And we've been granted some of that with the past two have been above average films, I think. Um, but I, I think someone who maybe had a more cursory view of Star Wars, maybe who wasn't that into the world, would see George Lucas selling, you know, would see the original prequels, only hear bad things about them for the past 15 years, and then see Disney buying Star Wars and be like, wait, didn't George Lucas already quote unquote Disneyfy Star Wars by making, you know, the prequels are basically kid versions mm. of Star Wars. So Disney's gonna buy another gonna be like random cartoons and even more toys and dumbed down and meant for not 13 year olds, but nine year olds now. And I think JJ's goal, just this isn't me talking to him or interviews or anything, but this is just my me inferring that JJ's goal was not only to say, hey, Star Wars is good again, but he did it in a way that was so blatant every time I watch it, because of those similarities. They're not only, hey, this is, you know, this is a new Death Star. This is a new hero, whatever it is. This is, hey, we're back on a Tatooine-like planet with a new name. But he's saying, we're going to make it, we're going to bring back all of your favorite things about Star Wars, but modernize them. Not only in modern mm -hmm. filmmaking, but modern technology. We're going to make everything seem lived in, but also just like lush and uh, gorgeous looking from a CGI perspective, uh, but also weathered and lived in. And he's also going to, I mean, what the first what eight minutes of Ray? Mm-hmm. There's no dialogue yeah, I other than Simon Pegg saying wow. one quarter portion. Yeah, that <laughs> was something. tremendous. I mean, that's the opposite of episodes one, two, and three. So yeah. he's taking all of that. Show, and just show, saying, show. Remember all the stuff you loved? We're going to make that even better and modernize yeah. it and make it seem like just another film from 2015, um, but with all the characters of the universe, all the story that you love. Uh, and I think, Jason, you're right. I think Rogue One is, is I mean, it's obviously not one of the, uh, I guess it's canonical, but it's not one of the, the nine. Um, so it can thereby, you know, therefore by definition stand apart. So it'd be kind of standalone, but it definitely to me is kind of climbing higher in the rankings every time I rewatch it. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to watch that again. Yeah. I think rogue one, you know, Ben, you talked at the beginning of the, of the podcast today about your favorite scene mm -hmm. being where Luke's uh, standing on Tatooine, looking at the two sons. Mm -hmm. It's a reflective moment that the filmmaker has chosen to take time in his storytelling to be reflective. Yeah. But that didn't happen in the prequels. The prequels were all about short scenes, moving mm -hmm. the thing along, quick cutting. There was no reflective moment like that. Yeah. And I think we have, we've seen glimpses of it. I can't think of it of an parallel scene but i feel like we we're back into the opportunity for those kinds of scenes now mm -hmm. with uh with force awakens and rogue one mm -hmm. uh that that we don't we don't you know even with the more modern editing styles that are all about quick cutting i think there's still room for reflective moments that are about character building yeah. and character yeah. choosing uh now moving forward than I, than I did after watching episode one or episode two or three. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think so. I'm, um, maybe number one, um, offender of the hating George Lucas. I like George Lucas. He's a great guy, but, um, of the, the hating what he did as far as the special editions specifically, mm. the fact that, um, and now it's Disney's fault. The fact that they haven't released, um, the original theatrical version of four, five and six ever on a high def version, um, perturbs me. Uh, but I think we should have a little segment. It might just be me talking. <laughs> so we might have a little segment. It might be a very tiny segment 
uh, called Let's Give George Lucas a Break. Okay. Yeah. Specifically on episodes one, two, and three. Um, where we name a few things that if we had to direct the film, if we could picture the film in our mind, we didn't even have to direct it, but we could just make this, fabricate this thing in our mind mm. about how we can make this better. Maybe I'm going to name a pitfall that I think would be hard to avoid no matter how good those films could have been. A big one, two big ones, is, is one, we know where the story's going. Yeah. So there's a lot of inevitability in the character arcs that obviously we don't know who Qui-Gon Jinn is, but we know it's going to be about Anakin and we know it's going to be six hours of Anakin that we're going to know how it's going to end up. That is a big hurdle to get over. Uh, another big one is love story. You know, he has to have kids and we know we probably yeah. has to happen. The relationship has to, <laughs> it doesn't have to happen on screen. The relationship has to happen. On it has screen to now. happen. That's, this is how I saw the episode too. <laughs> uh, what and kind I of think, movie are you talking about, man? <laughs> but, uh, we didn't have that in the original trilogy. We had a little bit of scoundrelness. We had a little incestuous stuff going on, but never a solid, these people are in love for mm -hmm. multiple scenes together, even or multiple films. I should say, I mean, yeah, there's not, there's the no budding Jedi that no, there's Leia's no budding like, romance. I'm not in love with Luke. It's cool. We can right, kiss. Right. No. And, and that was even for me, one of my things like Padme as a character has like moments of decisiveness, but if, and I was trying to think through, like, okay, Queen Amidala, Senator Amidala, like, why episode two opens with kind of a fun scene of an assassination attempt? Mm -hmm. Like, it's advent, it's thrilling, it's got like has some dramatic pace, but why? Like, if she's why is she so important? And if she's so important, then she should choose to stay, which should make guarding her more complicated, mm -hmm. which should make Anakin step up, which should make Anakin make mistakes and there should be conflict between him and Padme. There should be forgiveness. And so out of the, again, out of that conflict, introduce conflict into that relationship and you're actually going to have a relationship. Right. right. It's like, you're going to have the bodyguard where. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you need Padme to fight for something yeah. and put herself at risk. So Anakin actually steps up and shows his skill again and his imperfectness at times, maybe Jorge, his rashness or temptation to use wrath as mm -hmm. an out. Mm -hmm. And you have these well-rounded characters who fall in love. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would relish seeing that more fully developed. And also I think one, one of the things that the prequel lost, even though, you know, uh, Carrie sure pioneered it in the originals mm -hmm. was the strong female character. I mean, yeah. you know, Princess Leia is as badass as anybody in Star Wars. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And and I would argue the leader in Star Wars yeah. mm -hmm. as far as willing to make the right call and do whatever needs to be done to to get things done. Yeah. And and Padme started out that way. Yeah. Gun wielding. Yeah. And then by episode three, she's oh. just like the wife at home. Yeah, it's a mess. So we lost that. And if we'd had, yeah. if we'd maintain a stronger Padme that Anakin had to struggle with, mm -hmm. making him a better person, a better man, a better uh, romantic partner, his fall would have been much deeper, much more emotionally felt. Yes. Mm -hmm. the, the choices that he ends up making to become uh, Darth would have just hurt so much more instead of just feeling more like, okay, we needed to see what we needed to see in order yeah. to get us to episode four. Yeah. 
at the end by the end of episode three you're just saying like is the helmet on yet yeah like, yeah yeah are we done okay yeah. so and and i you know especially lately with carrie fisher's death mm-hmm. uh, there's been so much written about how much of a script doctor she was in hollywood yeah. and how much she was an uncredited and unintentional script doctor on four five and six especially mm-hmm. for her character in the dialogue yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that helped so deeply establish a strong female character in the star wars universe obviously that episode seven continues on with yeah. uh and rogue one does as well uh something that we all relish now that we kind of lost in the prequels and and it makes me wonder if if that was wasn't really part of what lucas had in mind in the first place even though we love george uh, and that's why it <laughs> suffered in in the first three or if he didn't have yeah. someone like a carrie fisher around to say make the the female lead stronger make her stronger make her stronger so i don't know yeah i struggle with the the uh princess leia being the i mean she's a very strong character uh and i it, my view of her is she's a very strong um you know, you know who she is. She's a very really well built up character by the time you get to, to Return of the Jedi. But still, you have in episode four, she's the damsel in distress. Even though she helps them save the day, she finds the garbage chute and stuff. She's she's the girl that the boys find and have to save. Um, and she's also the one in the gold bikini for the first 45 minutes. Maybe not first, but for a half hour or whatever in Return of the Jedi. So there's definitely a lot of things. Maybe some of that is 1970s. I don't know. Um, but there's definitely a lot of tropes in there that that don't help the, and the, yeah. I mean, there's I mean, the fact that who's the other woman in Star Wars? Amber. The Mom, Twilight sorry. Slave Mom girl Mothma? gets eaten Shmi by Skywalker. Shmi Skywalker. I win. I win. What did you say, Jay? The, the Twilight Slave Girl who gets eaten by the Rancor. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, exactly. There it is. So there's not a, not a lot to stand on yeah. when it comes to uh, cre- yeah, giving George right. Lucas credit for strong female characters. So it is nice to see the yeah. new ones start out with two very, very strong. And I mean, those are just the main characters. There's also mm-hmm. other Mon Mothma's, Mon Mothma's back again. Right. Good you know, to see the, her the second biggest character in the original trilogy. Uh, no, and, and to the to the point of original trilogy and prequel trilogy, at the beginning of Empire, uh the Empire finds the secret base on Hoth and they shell the place. Mm-hmm. And, Whoa, spoiler alert. Oh, oh right, sorry. <laughs> Oops. Um <laughs> Welcome out of the cave, everybody. Yeah. And nice. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. And Leia is one of the last people to leave. Everything's yeah. fallen to pieces and, and Han She's dra- literally dragged out. Yeah, Han has to drag her out of yeah. because she wants to stay. There is one assassination attempt on Amadala's life, and she's like, I'm going back to Naboo in my Italian <laughs> villa. Where we're going to fall in love? Question mark. Hey, Dom, I hate sand. The I way hate it's sand. It's so it's coarse, coarse, and it gets get, everywhere. It gets everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> it's okay. I'll just i'll I'll force float a pair over to you <laughs> at dinner. Oh my god! And hey, you can, show don't tell. Oh right. Yes. <laughs> show don't. I stand tell. corrected. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that the end of your thought? I'm sorry. No, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> I'm not here. I'm done, guys. I'm leaving. Yeah, I, I'm just going back to your original point, Ben, about um, the difficulty of telling a story where you know the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is difficult, but some of our greatest storytellers have done exactly that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you think back to you know the Iliad and the Odyssey, these are stories that people know. That's Oedipus true. Rex. The whole way reason that Oedipus Rex works is that the entire audience knows that Oedipus slept with his mom and killed his dad, and then gradually every single character in the play learns that, except for Oedipus. He's literally right. the last person to figure it out. Yeah, and that's such a brilliant way of doing this. Where I just imagine if the prequels worked that way. Yeah, I mean, Ro- was, Rogue One did it. Yeah. Yeah, you know the yeah, ending, and you, you dread it and love it while it's happening. Yeah, yeah. Rogue One's a perfect, perfect way to look at it. Um, uh, but I'll, I'll defend Lucas, or was it yeah. give Lucas a break? What were we supposed yeah. to do, Ben? Give yeah. George Lucas I, a break. I did not. Somebody give Lucas a break. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to point not to the prequels, but to the worst thing he ever did, which is cleaning up uh, four, five, and six. Uh, which we all oppose on moral grounds. Uh, yes, exactly. No, nothing to do with but, filmmaking. Strictly ethical. Strictly. Absolutely. Um, we'll be taking but, him to the Hague for that one. Yes, exactly. I think the shots of the other planets that get worked into the uh, Ewok celebration yeah, at the end of yeah, Jedi okay. yeah. are actually really great. And they fit really well. And they feel to me like... I wish that it had been in the original. I'm, I, those are the one scenes that not only do I want to forgive them, I want to say mm. I'm actually glad he did it. I'm glad he tinkered mm. with the original uh, because it, it widens the scope. It does something good with the story. Um, not because, ooh, we finally get to see Coruscant, um, but because otherwise it feels too local when a moment like that yeah. should feel much more universal. Fair. Not even um, on Endor. Not just Endor is celebrating. The forest right, the, moon of Endor the is the only moon. place that's celebrating. Yeah. And that always rubbed me the wrong way in the originals is that it's too small of a celebration. That can Mm. be their celebration. But as moviegoers, we need to see something that tells us that that more has happened other than, hey, great campfire, guys. High five. Right. So uh, real quick to that, Jason has some hologram special edition um, commentary that's actually positive that we're going to save for the fan version of this podcast that uh, coming next, but oh, fun. that's not filmmaking. So we'll save that and we'll have a big fight about that with Nick and rich coming up. But, <sighs> uh, what I was going to say, you mentioned a uh, very, it seemed like a small world, which I totally agree with. And one of the things that Dom mentioned to me about star Wars seeming small would be if, and this we're now into the conjecture future section of the podcast, uh, would be if Ray is Luke's daughter or if, if she is, oh. you know, whether she's Han's daughter or whatever, a character yeah. that we know. And I remember when I mentioned that to you right after we saw the film. Yeah. And you're like, I that's possible. There's definitely hints at that, mm-hmm. but it would seem like the world was just too small if that were the case. Is that something yeah. you still feel? You uh, echo or? I I do. I feel like it would make it small. I my my brother is a is a Star Wars nerd aficionado he adores and he's someone thinks he adores and loathes certain parts of star wars yeah, we all do exactly. yeah and so <laughs> exactly uh for him star wars is the skywalker saga mm-hmm. and so in that in that thought ray has to be luke's daughter right who else could she be right yeah okay and I get that. Again, like if, if one through three is Anakin, four through six is Luke, I can definitely see the argument for seven through nine being Ray. Yeah. Um, it so, could still be uh, Kylo Ren. It could be. I mean, and, and then we, we keep the, we keep the, the arc still, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't have to be Ray because there are still other characters in one, two, three and four, five, six. Yes. And I'm, I, I guess part of, part of, 
this is hope. And part of it is my, my intellectual choice. Uh, I, I choose to believe that if the entirety of the nine films or the Skywalker saga, that that in this last trilogy is going to be realized through Kylo rather than through a Ray, uh, that doesn't diminish, uh, the character Ray or her importance in the final trilogy. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. But I have a hard time believing that there's some unknown clandestine way that she's the daughter of Luke or the daughter of Leia or what the hell happened that she doesn't know. I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it could happen and, and, you know, show it to me. All right. Right. I'll buy into it if it's real. Yeah. If it's done well, but I'm, I'm, you know, if nothing else, we've seen plenty of the dark side gets redeemed to the light yeah. throughout Star Wars. I mean, yeah. it happened with Darth. Yeah. You know, Luke brought him back into the light, even though it was at the very end of his life on this planet. He still goes on. And it certainly wouldn't surprise me that that's what's end up happening with Kylo. Yeah. Like, I, I love the fact that Kylo is still out there and yeah. still realistic like has a shot at redemption and you you saw a moment of genuine conflict and being and feeling torn apart yeah and he made a choice and there's going to be consequences for that but there's still possible redemption for him yeah and um in return of the jedi you know four five six does parental conflict i think really well uh, in some good ways, but with the redemption of Darth Vader, a moment that I really love, it almost fixes that parent-child relationship too easily. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's too quick. It's too quick of a turnaround, and then it, it's the perfect thing. What if your estranged father were to come to you, tell you that you were right all along, and then die immediately so he could never take it back and never show you anything else? Mm. Um, it would be the perfect ending in that way. Um I think it's so much better. Well, first off, Kylo doesn't get to have that with his father. Uh, That's not going to happen. Um, And second off, it'd be so good if Rey, if this mate continues to be a character moment for her, finding her parents, wanting to know what happened to them, Mm -hmm. and yet it doesn't actually get resolved. Um, I think that that just makes her such a strong character and then ends up bonding her to Finn. Someone mm-hmm. also who doesn't know yeah. his parents and is also an orphan. Yeah, um, you have a story of orphans. Yeah. Potentially with all three of them. I, I personally, real quick, wanted yeah. to hear like your what like your wildest prediction for episode eight. Like what's the scene that okay. you just think is like crazy, but you would you're like if that if you knew that scene was there. <laughs> You would watch them like you're there midnight watching the movie. Uh, I'm I'm excited for uh, Ray to be running around the the islands in Ireland with uh, Luke Skywalker in a backpack mm-hmm. uh, on her back. Okay, just no. flipping around whatever vines she can find in Perfect. Ireland. No, I think um, Jorge and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, I believe, uh, which was I I could see them. I think a lot of us are like, oh, okay, Episode Seven ended with her on the island and there's going to be cool training montages similar to Luke in empire with Yoda. Mm -hmm. But I could see them skipping all that. We didn't see Luke's training other than, excuse me, a couple shots uh, in empire, like I said, but I think 
everything between Empire, when he's definitely not a Jedi, to the beginning of Return, where mm-hmm. he definitely is a Jedi, or I guess we just found out he's not until he kills his dad. Right. right. But he comes into Jabba's palace, all dressed in black, doing like force choking left and right and stuff. So he's very Jedi-like. Big jump. So I, you know, whatever, it's one to three years is kind of what we estimate. That was our guess. That was our guess between Empire and Return. Um, so I could see them either doing a jump ahead where we skip all of her training. Yeah. Um, I don't know how fun that would be to watch. I mean, it would be like a karate, the kid style montage, I guess. Um, I'm not really answering your question. I think I, I would like to see more of a, it, it, so it's Ryan Johnson. Yeah. So it's going to be different. It's going to be the empire of this one, not only in the sense that it's the second, but it's going to be the one that is darker. It's going to be the one that ends in the ultimate cliffhanger. It's Ryan Johnson, so it's going to be a weird movie, and it's going to be the opposite of J.J. in that way. He's not going to make a movie that's just like crazy explosions and lens flare, lens flare, lens flare. We're all happy at the end. Like It's it's going to be a movie that's going to be dark. I don't even know how to explain it. I don't know if it's going to be like yeah. the story of Kylo Ren for 90 minutes and like 15 minutes of Ray. I don't know. It's going to be something weird like that. My, totally. That's my prediction, I guess. It, it, I don't know if there's one scene that I've even thought about that would be like, yeah. this would be it. But um, if anyone hasn't, it's listen, if you've gotten this far into the podcast and you're, then you're definitely a Star Wars fan. Uh, but if you, if you haven't watched any of the Ryan Johnson films, um, check them out. Looper was his big one, yeah. but Brothers Bloom is my favorite. And so then good. Brick was kind of his independent high school uh, noir film starring uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt that is just a masterpiece. So check yeah. out all three of those um, if you can't wait for for episode eight. But any, you, you two over there uh, yeah. about episode eight? One quick thing. Um, each of the four, five, and six, there was a jump in time between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happened in one, two, and three as well, though it wasn't quite as consistent. With yeah. four, five, and six, it seemed almost as though it was just going along with us in real time. Yeah. Uh, and so that when we've got two years off between a movie, they take two years yeah. off. That's uh, true. And we sync back up. I'd yeah. love to see if that happens. Um, the I remember seeing the when they started shooting. Ryan Johnson, you know, starting shooting. Where did he start shooting? It was on that yeah. island. First day of um, shooting and, was on the same. And so yeah. that worries yeah. me and makes me think. We're going to pick up exactly where it stopped, which maybe we need that scene, but I do want to jump ahead. Um, yeah. So what would I love to see, though? Uh, I've been thinking about this. We'll need to, you know, wrapping up some of the stories, telling us where we are. And whenever we get to the point where we get to say where Finn is, I want Finn and Poe in a death-defying adventure, some kind okay. of uh, Rogue One-style espionage, right? Yeah. And it's very buddy comedy uh, kind of feel to it. Yeah. Uh, things blowing up that shouldn't have, and them just barely surviving and getting totally. to it. And just before they attempt some amazing stunt, they're they're sitting there, right, getting ready to jump, Butch Sundance style, whatever it is. And Poe leans in and kisses Finn and says, "For luck." And then they jump. <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys, not even a joke. That would be the coolest freaking scene. That'd be film. so Ryan Johnson yeah. too. Oh, that'd be amazing. Oh man. Can't wait. Great, man. I can't wait. I'm so there. Oh, man. So, yeah, we're an hour and 15 into this. Uh, who knows what it'll be if I cut it down a little bit. But most of most of Dom stuff, I'll probably just cut completely. Cool. So, um, I'm excited. Or, or, yeah. yeah, I need your predictions. Oh, yeah. My, my predictions. Well, as, as most of you know, uh, participating in the podcast, and as the listeners will now learn, I'm – I – do not like trailers. I don't like to hear a thing about what people are thinking the next thing is going to be. I like to go into the theater as much as possible 
with a blank slate and have it happen to me. Yeah. Instead of have it be a judgment about what I thought was going to happen instead. So I don't like giving thought to what I might be seeing in episode mm-hmm. eight. That's but fair. I will join into the conversation in saying that all the trilogies and all good storytelling has the hero's journey arc. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's out. the middle portion of the hero's journey arc. So those things are going to happen. We're yeah, going to yeah. be left at the end of episode eight with a big cliffhanger like you you guys mentioned yeah, yeah, yeah. and with some some characters being lost to us <laughs> and, you know, some heavy weight of how is this going to turn around? Right. Uh, you know, and, and a crisis of faith for Ray would be great. I think mm-hmm. it's probably necessary. Yeah. Uh, and, and who knows what else, but, uh, so I won't be surprised by whatever they choose, uh, that fits into that arc. I expect it. It's good storytelling. Yeah. Uh, but I, I haven't given any thought and don't really intend to as to what the details of that might be. It just spoils my viewing pleasure. Yeah. Well, I think it's so much more fun to think of the the big picture stuff like you're thinking of. What are the character turns that we need? Um, yeah. And one of the reasons I think that's more fun is before you see the movie and before you see all the trailers, which we'll try so hard to escape, but who knows what, how we'll do. Yeah. Um, this is your last chance to think of those things because once right. you see the movie – they become unthinkable. They're always mm. at the very least an alternative yeah. version of what you actually saw. But right now you've got a, a fresh, clean piece of paper. So it's kind of fun to be able to pencil in a couple of those bigger marks of what could happen Yeah. Uh, without the details of, you know, so totally. is Boba Fett going to be in it? Guys, guys though, is Boba Fett going <laughs> to be in it? Seriously. <laughs> um, no, I would like maybe, yeah, in that spirit, the thing, hey, if we're talking about character beats or character moments, um, Maybe because we're we were talking about it earlier, I would love to see a in terms of grace shown or a like forgiveness mm. shown to Kylo, and maybe that's an episode nine thing or like down the road. Um, but what does one do when confronted by grace? Yeah. And you're going back to uh, Brothers Karamazov when you know instead of casting the criminal out. You know, the thought from from people in schools, the thought was, what if you pulled the criminal in? What mm-hmm. if you brought them as close as humanly possible? Mm-hmm. And so if, like, Luke and Kylo, if Luke sees Kylo again, Kylo, who was a student of his, who has killed one of his best friends, and um, Kylo was someone that Luke swore to protect and swore to, to raise right. And there is grace and forgiveness extended again. Like what yeah. is, again, that's going to confront the characters and demand choice from both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I hope that characters are put in situations where they like absolutely, their backs are against the wall. They have to make a choice. Yeah. And if, Assuming that does happen, yeah. and I assume that Kylo Ren will be redeemed, I'm with you, and I really want his redemption to happen in this next movie so that mm. we can see it play out in episode nine. Mm, um, yeah. I, I don't want the cheap at the very end, he turns around and is redeemed, and then 
later we'll we'll tell episode 10 and it will be different characters and we'll all just talk about yep and then kylo ren lived happily ever after and everything was great uh, yeah. i want him to have to wrestle with with what he's done because uh, i think that's yeah. a big part mm. of redemption totally yeah i i i long for that too i i find it difficult to envision how they're going to you know who becomes the villain then in episode nine snow um you know in in episodes one through six we always had you know a a sith and a sith uh apprentice and a sith master uh the emperor and darth ultimately uh so it would be weird to i think have to come up with a new villain to go along with general snopes in episode nine if you guys earns you guys kylo ren is redeemed while ray breaks bad yeah ships passing at night yep oh my god there it is here first wow it's on wax now man oh (laughs) wax with brian cranston casting a special role i assume so by the way ryan johnson directed two episodes of breaking bad so nicely done it's all happening we have discovered the key. Oh, oh, oh. That, I right, I'm going to throw idea. out a question, and I know we're long, and Ben, you're going to fix this in post. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but let's say, Dom, that your brother is right, that mm. the nine movies are the Skywalker saga. Yeah. Shout out to Will. There's going to be a tenth and beyond. Oh, and Disney's and, not going to let Star Wars die after the ninth film. Yeah. And they're going to create another episode, not just another fill in movie between the episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that the opportunity to move away from the Skywalker saga or does the Skywalker saga have to continue? Yeah. I, I personally don't believe it does. That's why like, again, my initial reaction to the is Ray Luke's daughter question was, I kind of hope not. Um, it, it wouldn't, make or break my viewing experience. Uh, I don't think it's a mystery worth teasing out if she is. I'll say that. Um, sort of in, in the sense yeah. that like m- teasing out Palpatine as the emperor in episodes one through three was again, like a big mistake, I would say. Um, and so teasing out like the possibility of Ray being Luke's daughter. Um, if she is, that should just come at the beginning of episode eight. Like yeah. that should just be done with, dealt with out of the way. Put the card on the table and play. Yep. And yeah, like everyone thought it, let's move on. Yeah. If she Even isn't have her figure it out at the beginning of episode eight. Yeah. Have more of a story about trying to deal with that. Does mm-hmm. she confront Luke about it? Does, you know, more character moments go on. Sorry. Yeah. Like, but no, if she isn't, then potentially like that's some interesting stuff because Luke had the same quandary with Yoda and he goes into a literal cave and one of the best lines of empire, he looks at the cave and he goes, what's in there? And Yoda says, only what you take with you. And what a scene, like, and he confronts Vader and like, it's this dream sequence where like he's in the Vader helmet and actually now. So if Ray isn't Luke's daughter, but Luke has dealt with, parental conflict, parental trauma and feelings of abandonment in, you know, he has no memory of his mother. He doesn't have a relationship with his father. 
and Ray is going through similar things. And so there's potential for, you know, relating to that, but also conflict in terms of how you address it or do you address it? Do you like brush it under, like put it under the rug? Do you not talk about it? Um, so there's a lot of conflict there. So any, I know you guys did some, a lot of research and homework for this and Dom had to watch the original, the, or not the original, the original prequels, <laughs> not the special edition prequels, what we're going to get in 10 years. Mm. Uh, but any, any final thoughts on just kind of the filmmaking of star Wars you guys had? You had a lot of notes Dom. I did. And, and they're all, uh, like they're all super, super specific in terms right. of like, like in terms of how they were edited, in terms of oh, how wow. they were like the certain like the way the way George Lucas shot the prequels um, is, is fascinating in the sense that like and he tells you this in documentaries like, yeah, he walks on set, shoots the wide, shoots the medium, shoots two close ups and is done. And then he says repeatedly, oh, I like to make the movie in the editing room. I just like to shoot kind of coverage and then put it together as we go. And if you're a genius or if you're lucky enough, like that's okay. But that's code for being lazy. Yeah. Yep. And that, that demonstrates a lack of specificity and intention in the storytelling. Yep. And so you know, one more thing that in the research or in studying, I found weakening the prequels was for me a lack of storytelling intention <laughs> not even what story we're telling but how we're telling it you know even the beginning yeah. the beginning of empire when luke is in the in another cave lots of caves and <laughs> he's he's in the cave and trying to to get at his lightsaber yeah. that slow push in on the lightsaber is a shot that you never see Mm. In the prequels. Yeah. Uh, Jorge, Jason, any final thoughts on, on what has been, where we're going, any, any film? I guess um, I don't want to miss the opportunity to, you know, earlier I talked about what's the legacy going to be for George mm. uh, and Star Wars. And certainly we're going to remember the films, but I, I talked about how he created a whole new way of making movies with ILM and, Skywalker and et cetera, and technology. I think the other thing that sort of that kind of big picture that he did is this notion of transmedia mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, where, you know, certainly when he started doing it, he was kind of the first. And obviously now almost everybody Marvel, look at them. They maybe done it better than anybody. Sure. But, uh, but the notion of, you know, telling, creating your main films, but having all these ancillary places where the story can live and go different paths and not detract from what your main films are trying to do, but sort of enhance the canon and the world and and bring more audience to it. Uh, yeah. You know, he's got to be remembered for that, too. Yeah. That's part of what I want to give George his due props for absolutely having the vision to do that. And the willingness, unlike Steve jobs to let his product go and say, Oh yeah, yeah. create those stories, create the clone yeah. wars, uh, do all that animated stuff, uh, all do, do all the books. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Whatever. That's cool. And 
And that's what's made it so much bigger yeah. than than if it was just movies. Well, the man took, a, I think it was a two or three hundred thousand dollar salary decrease in order to have 100 percent of the merchandising rights. Yep. So, I mean, that's not film related, but that's that goes to the just how different Star Wars was from everything. The studio is like, yeah, why would we want those kids aren't playing with toys from movies? Well, yeah, we'll we'll cut your salary in half or more, whatever it was. I'll put the numbers in the show notes for this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he made, I don't, I don't even know. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll research this a little more and put it in the show notes, but I'm sure he made billions of dollars off of the toys. Probably oh, yeah. Than they, no more than oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And we do have a uh, future episode planned uh, tentatively about Star Wars and transmedia with a uh, colleague of mine who just wrote an yeah. article on it. So, uh, oh, nice. Look for that. Uh, yeah, we're too many, oh my gosh, too many episodes. State of the film Star Wars, but it's really year of Star Wars is what yeah. we should call this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, I mean, Lucas is in the name of the, the games that we do cover. Lucas so. is art of Star Wars. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Oh my gosh. All right. Any final thoughts? Are we good? All right. If we have any more final thoughts, if you guys have any, um, send them my way and I'll just add them to the show notes and we can keep adding to that. So, uh, yeah. Thank you to Dom and Jorge for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I got a good feeling about this. Yeah. (laughs) Man. Ah, there it is. Well done. All right. And on that note, we are out.